Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Today's scripture is Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus, Emperor Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was a descendant from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and was expecting a child. While, there, while they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news and great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the, angels, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to, now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child laying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at the, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I need that, sorry. Good morning, y'all. Uh, my name is Brittany. I'm the pastor here. And uh, first of all, I want to just say thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and I was going to say something else too. Oh yeah, uh, today. What is today? The twentieth. Is that right? Yeah. Today is December twentieth, and it is. Um, so UBC is a foresight church. Many of you know this. Um, some of you do not. We have sites in Wicker Park, Andersonville, Hyde Park, and River North, which, as you see in our flyers, we're launching to the South Loop um, in a couple of in a couple of weeks that River North is moving. 
Today is a really sad day for our Wicker Park sisters and brothers because um, our founding pastor, one of the co-founding pastors, Trey Hall, it's his last Sunday. He's moving to the UK in about a week. So I just want to take a moment and, and know, I mean, I can just imagine that if I was leaving, y'all would be devastated right now. Uh, <laughs> that I expected a bigger laugh, but that's okay. Um, so I, I, I just want to take a moment and hold that community in prayer. There are sisters and brothers in Christ. We are one church um, meeting in Foresight. So can we pray? God, thank you for the gift of this ministry which has stretched to the four corners of the city. Thank you for the vision that you have placed on Trey and Christian's heart for UBC and for the ways that, in particular, Trey has been faithful to that call and as a site pastor at Wicker Park and um, as the lead pastor for this, this UBC community. I lift up all of those folks in the stadium seating, the theater seating that are probably heartbroken and grieving in this moment as they are um, going to be missing their pastor. And I lift up Trey, who is taking a giant leap of faith to move to a new place. I trust that your spirit um, is guiding us all. Amen. I, I have to say personally, I've known Trey for 10 years, and so it's a, it's a great loss um, for me personally to have him leaving. So now on a happier note, let's talk about Christmas. Uh, this is the first year in my family's tradition. This is the first year that my daughter Ruby, who's three and a half, really gets the sort of larger understanding of what Christmas is about. So um, in some mysterious way, she understands that she's going to go to sleep one night. I don't think she has a full concept of days of the week, but sometime soon, and she's going to wake up and there's going to be presents from some dude named Santa that she still doesn't want to talk to, but like sees from afar and thinks is pretty interesting. She gets in some mysterious way that it's connected to Jesus. Um, earlier this week when we had our UBC Andersonville staff meeting, Preston, um, our dollar-a-year pastor, was there, and he was quizzing Ruby on Christmas. He said something like, well, Ruby, what is Christmas? And she's like, it's Jesus' birthday. And he said, well, who's Jesus' mom? And she said, Mary. Like, you know, she knows. And, oh, well, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, which I have to say I was pretty impressed because I'm not sure if I would always be able to do that when I was three. Um, so Ruby doesn't know really what's happening, and yet she has these little pieces of information. Um, she hasn't fully figured out what Santa Claus has to do with Jesus. I, I haven't either, but um, <laughs> but she knows that it's all sort of there, right? Um, and and. She's okay with this. She's okay with, with saying, thanks to our godly play curriculum that the children use, they've been talking these four Sundays about preparing for the great mystery of our faith. And so we've been doing that in our home. We have an Advent candle, that, an Advent wreath that we've had just in previous years, and then the kids in their Advent retreat made 
uh, uh, Advent wreath, and so we have one in our little bar area of the kitchen and one in our dining room, and we light the candles each week. And the joy this morning when we got to light that fourth candle because she knows something is going to happen. We've been reading scripture passages and, and singing songs. Something big is going to happen. We know that something big is, to use Star Wars terms, an alternate empire is going to break forth. We know that in, in um, Jesus' birth, that a new way of life is, is born and made flesh and lives among us. And yet, have we fully grasped that mystery? And are we comfortable with not fully grasping it? So, Ruby, Ruby hasn't grasped it, like I said, um, but she's anticipating the mystery. And I look to her in sort of hope and excitement because I think children at that age, I just got an email a, a couple of weeks ago, psychologists say they live in this time of what's called magical thinking children between the ages of three and four, they can't fully grasp everything. And part of that's because they're little and their brains are still forming and they just cannot cognitively do it. But I think part of it is also because they're freer. They've been not been corrupted by the... I know Hillary said she likes order, right? We all like order. Children have not been corrupted by the order and accuracy and um, reason that we have been taught to dwell in. So she's freer. Children are just freer to experience this mystery. So if you have magical thinking, pigs really can fly. Right? And if there is magical thinking in your thought, birds talk. It's like in Cinderella. And if you open yourself up to magical thinking, the man in the moon is real. And the cow really did jump over the moon, right? This is magical thinking. I wonder what it means for us to use this magical thinking as we approach the mystery of Christmas. Now, I'll say it does help for the whole Santa Claus scenario, right? Because that way we can be like, well, yes, of course, Santa Claus can make it um, around the world in 24 hours with um, a package of toys and a sleigh and reindeer and fit down. Like, magical thinking, right? But what about for the mystery of Christmas? Of Jesus born into this world? Because what we're waiting for in this this time of Advent is a new world order. A new way of seeing life, an inbreaking of God's kingdom. To use the scripture in Revelation, it is a world where God lives among the people and wipes away every tear from their eyes. A world where death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. A world where the first things have passed away and God is making all things new. And the mystery of this new world order begins with the birth of Jesus. Begins with that simple babe. Now, people have tried to fully explain this in a very accurate and logical and orderly account. Um, If you look, this scripture passage today came from Luke 2. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have some for you on the tables. Please take one. We'd love for you to have one. They're free. Free Bibles. 
Luke 1, so we read from Luke 2, Luke 1 begins this way. I love the, listen to this. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us from those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully, from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. We begin this book with the expectation that it will be orderly and accurate, as if reason and logic will tell of this great mystery. Now, that could have worked for uh, first century Christianity. did. Look at Christianity group. I don't know about you, though, but in my world today, I need a little less order and a little less structure and a little more mystery and wonder. So, this book begins with the expectation that it is orderly and accurate, but I'm going to burst your bubble right now. Um, if, you, if you keep reading this book, Jesus' life is anything but orderly. It is anything. Can I get an amen to that, right? And in this particular scripture passage that we read today, the census that we read, all historical knowledge... Every commentary I read said it is very highly unlikely that there was a census. Basically, Luke, the author, we'll just call him Luke, made it up. So it's not accurate either, at least historically. He made it up probably because he needed to get Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem somehow. And so a census was a really great way to do that. Uh, there's a scripture passage in Micah, Micah 2, that says, that prophesies the birth of a Savior. And so Luke, in an attempt to be orderly and accurate, said, well, i got to get Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem, So because Micah says, but you, O Bethlehem, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. So see, Luke had to get Jesus to be born in Bethlehem to make the scripture true so that it would be orderly and accurate. Right? So he made up a census. So what do we do when our scripture passages, when we look at them and we engage, and then we see that they're actually inaccurate? Some people say, well, I'm going to throw out faith. It's ridiculous. Right? I think that we have to step back and see the bigger picture. And when we do that, I see that Luke was trying to get us to understand this scandalous birth of God into the world, this scandalous birth that turned the world upside down. He was trying to make sense of it. He was trying to draw the larger implications of it, right? And it's difficult to comprehend. It's a mystery. But in order to begin to explain it, the author attempted to create an orderly account a logical argument of how Jesus must be the Messiah. He was born in this place, and Micah said it, so he must be the Savior, right? 
So that might have been helpful in first century, but it's not helpful for me because of the need for more mystery and wonder. I've been thinking about that word mystery and wonder quite a bit this week. Um, so I'm going to tie it into Star Wars. You all have been waiting on this, right? Um, Alan loaned me episode one. I was looking for like a groan or a like what or like really, Brittany? Yeah, I have to. So I have to say, um, I did not grow up like engaging Star Wars. I, my older brother loved it. Um, it wasn't. It just wasn't a movie that spoke to me. But the movie that I saw regularly um, in my house because my younger brother loved it was Spaceballs. Has anybody seen that movie? Yeah. So I, he had a thing for Rick Moranis. Any movie that involved Rick Moranis, he wanted to watch. So I have seen Spaceballs probably a hundred times. And so when I uh, first watched the movie Star Wars, one of I don't know which episode, for the first time as a like teenager, older teenager, I didn't actually get to engage it critically because I was laughing the whole time because I was finally understanding what Spaceballs was referencing, right? <laughs> So Alan loan, loaned me um, episode one, and I think he said something like, here, you have to watch this because it ties into the scripture, unfortunately. Um, so I watched episode one, and I, I, I had heard people didn't like it, and so I was ready to hate it. Yeah, I see a lot of faces, yes. The feedback is good. I get that, yeah. Um, I was ready to think it was awful, but I have to confess to you that it kind of just seemed like an orderly account of the story of Anakin, right? Everything was neatly explained. The mystery of this mystical force um, was explained by mid-chlorians. Is that what it's called? Um, we find out Anakin built C-3PO and R2-D2. He knew. and um, We saw all these themes, and I was like, oh, that's cool. It like, explains everything. How cool, you know? And so then I innocently asked on Facebook, I was like, what's, what's wrong with this movie? And I'll just say that I got a, a screen full of comments that told me. And I was, I was struck by one comment in particular. Chris, Ann gave me permission to use your comment. Um, <laughs> Chris said, and, and he said a lot, and I, I, I just am giving you one comment here. You, you're welcome to stalk me on Facebook and see everything he said. Um, Chris said, the prequels never shied away from ruining so much of the intrigue and mystery from the original trilogy with over-explaining things that never needed an explanation. There's that word mystery again. I think sometimes our lives are so full of logic and reason, of going from point A to point B, of getting these things done, of checking stuff off the list, that we, we forget to pause and look for the mystery in, among us, around us. To forget that the mystery of Christmas is that God dwells with us. With us. Preston... Um, he, I, it's like I'm featuring Preston in my sermon today. He was he was telling me a story also earlier this week um, about the very first living nativity. Um, you guys know what living nativities are? Like somebody dresses up as Mary, somebody dresses up as Joseph, there's a baby Jesus, 
they get a cow and maybe a donkey and somebody's an angel and uh, and and they they march in. Have you guys been to a living nativity? Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's outside. Maybe maybe they allow the animals in the church. Though that's scandalous. Um, living nativity, right? So uh, Preston and Jean had the opportunity to visit the very first living nativity. A guy named St. Francis of Assisi um, created it back over a thousand years ago, somewhere around there. And he was going to be doing midnight mass and he saw the, the congregation that he was a part of, the, the church was going to be too small. So he carved out this rock area, he found a, like a little cave area, and he created the very first living nativity and, and everybody got to see it and preach the mass. So they were visiting, and to honor the site of this very first Koresh, very first living nativity, they, um, there are photographs from all over the world that show other living nativities, other places where these nativities have, have been. So there's a picture of a living nativity in Alaska, right, right there. There's a picture of a living nativity um, from Hungary, Right there. There's a picture from Zimbabwe and from the busy streets of Paris, you know, all over the world. And uh, I hear that Jean saw it first, looking at those photographs and seeing the mystery and awe and wonder of that nativity right there, like a little bubble, while the hustle and bustle of the world were around it. So you would see this beautiful crash, act out, you know, people standing there, and behind were people walking to get their coffee, running to catch a train, taking a walk with the baby. The whole world was happening and not seeing the mystery that was right there before them. The mystery of Christmas is that God took on flesh and blood to be one of us, to be vulnerable and broken, knowing, here's the real mystery, that it would lead to death, that vulnerability would lead to death, that that's what it means to be human, but that that desire of God to know us, truly know us, to experience where we are in our darkness, in our pit, that it was worth that risk. And so that brings me back to Star Wars. And now I'm talking the original. I want to show you a clip from the 1983 film. Um, spoiler alert, this is like the end. So if you haven't seen this, I'm sorry for your life. Um, you can say that I ruined Star Wars for you. So you're seeing in Fast Forward right now fighting uh, father and son. Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker have been fighting. Luke says to his dad, I'm not going to give up on you. I see, I sense good in you. And Darth Vader also using, is he using the Force? I don't know this. But can say, I sense hate and fear in you come to the dark side. And Luke's saying, I will not kill you, and Darth Vader also not wanting to kill his son. And uh, so it gets to this point where the Emperor comes and decides if, if 
I might be butchering this, but if Luke can't kill Darth Vader, then he'll kill Luke or something. I don't know. I might get this wrong. So he uses, like, is it electricity? I don't know. Blue beams to kill Luke Skywalker. And um, after painstaking moments, um, Darth Vader intervenes and kills the Emperor, but it, it costs him his life. He, he, is, he is fatally injured. So, watch. Let me look on you with my own eyes, the father said to his son. Let me look on you with my own eyes, God says to us, taking flesh in a little babe, vulnerable and frail, and ultimately will die. Let me look on you with my own eyes. The hopes and fears 
of all the years are met in the birth of this new king, someone who will turn the world upside down, someone who will risk death just to be with us. That's the beautiful, incomprehensible mystery of the Incarnation. It is not logical. It cannot be explained through orderly accounts. It can only be experienced if we open ourselves up to the mystery that is before us, that is breaking into our everyday lives. As we rush to the train, as we shop for Christmas gifts, as we dread our family gatherings, or maybe we look forward to them. The mystery of Christmas is that God wants to look upon us with God's own eyes. Amen.